You are listening to the Noisy Narratives podcast, a podcast produced by the Women of First Ministries at Frisco First Baptist Church in Frisco, Texas. Here at Noisy Narratives, we like to cut through the noise of our stories and get to the heart of what really matters. We hope you are blessed by what we share. Thank you so much for listening. Isn't it amazing? Welcome to Noisy Narratives. This is Debbie, and I'm here with Christy, and it's our second to last podcast of the season. Mm. Crazy that we're already there, finishing up season three. Mm-hmm. We're finishing up with a good interview today. We're interviewing we Rick, a new a, a new staff member of ours, mm-hmm. who we've really enjoyed getting to know. So that'll mm-hmm. be a fun interview. Mm-hmm. But until then, what are we talking about for the next, I don't know, 10 minutes, hour, what? <laughs> 10 minutes or an hour. Let's keep it to 10 minutes, maybe. Okay, do you have scars on your body, outside scars on the outside of your body that I, you do not like? Oh. Or how do you feel about your scars on your body? I think because of where they are, I'm kind of ambivalent for the most part. And maybe now at this point I am because of how old I am. Okay, where are your know. scars? So I have two down here from when I bust under my chin. She's my... pointing to her chin right yeah. now. <laughs> I, no, seriously. I busted my chin open two different times. Okay. And had to have stitches. I busted my forehead open two different times. Oh, the and forehead's had to have the stitches. Worst. Yeah, so then for a while growing up, I'd have this like lines mm. up there that looked kind of indentioned. So I guess I was always... And it's funny now that you're saying that. Are I you always saying used you're a to head pull. Case? <laughs> yeah, well, we've always known that, haven't we? <laughs> but I used to pull my hair down all the time. Mm-hmm. I always wanted bangs, and and so I made this habit of it. And so I've always been one that's hated showing my forehead because of the scars. I think that's where it started. Okay. I never figured out, and I have kind of a high forehead to begin with. But um, I think that's where it started with okay. that and when I was younger, and then in middle school, high, late elementary, middle school, I was yeah. constantly pulling my hair down. And um, then it just became a big habit into where, so okay. I think that's where it started. Honestly. You don't have any, this is all you have. You have fate, chin, chin and head. Chin, you don't and stretch then, marks? Do you call those scars? I don't have, well, I have Ugh. not stretch marks, but I have horrible flabby skin on my stomach from, yeah. Yeah. Having, from my kids. And then I do have a big scar on my ankle from when I had some skin cancer pulled off. But, um, and I have one inside my hairline that you can't really see. So oh, those little things, but I don't really have stretch marks or anything. Okay, so you don't, and you don't, and you didn't have a C-section. I didn't. So you don't have that Mm, scar. No, but I've got little bitty, like strange scars from like chicken pox and, you know, chicken pox really horrible. So I have little ones like that, that you probably wouldn't even notice unless I pointed them out, that kind of stuff. But no, I don't. Why? What about you? You got to answer now though. I got a lot. I got scars everywhere, girl. I got them on my, right here on my eyelid. I leaned back when I was a baby in a high chair and I hit like the edge of a window and busted Uh. my eye open. I've got them um, on my knees because I used to skateboard and do things, kind of a tomboy. Yeah. And I had like skinny little legs with these big old knees. So it just tore them up all the time. Um, I've got a big old lump on my thigh because I was rollerblading and I went down a hill Plano trails when I was growing up and I hit a, I hit it so bad that the whole right side of my body was skinned up. I couldn't even sit. I had to sit on a pillow. Oh my goodness. It was horrible. I couldn't sleep, but I've got scar tissue in my thigh. Like you can oh, feel it. You can feel like a lump. Hard. You oh can yeah. Feel it. It's a yeah. big old lump right there. Um, I've got, um, I call it my baby trophy, mm-hmm. um, from all the stretch marks and the skin 
that might be filled with other things too right now, but it's going. We'll just keep going we'll past that, that one. <laughs> keep going. Um, but I was thinking about scars and how often are we, do we try to hide our scars because mm. we don't want people to see them. And then in reality, shouldn't we kind of be happy to see our scars? I saw, and let's see if I can pull it When those. you say happy, what do you mean? I mean, like, like just this is part of life. Yeah, this is who I am. This is, shows us we've lived. Yes. I mean. For so long, I hated showing my knees because I, this is like in middle school and high school, I hated showing my knees because they were always scabbed. And even to this day, they're bad. I mean, I've broken arms and legs and fingers, but I still don't call them scars. Right. I've broken like my big toes, especially yeah. a couple of times. Like, I just think I'm clumsy as a person yes. a lot of times. Yeah. So that's hence my... Yeah. Banging into things and breaking mm-hmm. my toe. I've broken several toes, mm-hmm. but again, those are different. Like, well, it's like if you, you're shaving your legs and yes. you, it's bleeding. You don't want, you try to hide it. Cause you're like, really, I'm a grown woman. I can't shave my legs yeah. anymore. Like you don't want people to know that you still skin yourself or like, you know, when your husband's shaving his face and he's but I walking think around. Scars are different. Cause I have parts of my body. I've had to not be ashamed over, but they're not scars. Oh, well, so it's a whole new territory. Diff- but I'm saying so those image? are different, right? Like what if, cause I feel like my scars on my head was at the time, like a shame. Like I didn't like how my forehead looked. Yeah. And so like, I would try to cover it up versus there's other scars. I think people are going, Oh yeah, that's just like my scar with King cancer on my ankle. It was pretty nasty looking for a while. Mm-hmm. It was pretty gross, but I honestly didn't care. Cause people asked, I'd be like, Oh yeah, I got skin. I, I wasn't like ashamed of that. It wasn't. But what about women with breast cancer when they have yeah. their scars, they're, some are ashamed of it and don't want yeah. anybody to know, but I do feel like it's That's a better hard. conversation. Not a better. It's getting better about being, you shouldn't be ashamed of that. Nope. Like you're still living and breathing. Yep. That scar gave you life and That's got true. the the toxicity out of your body and you can now live a better life and you're healthier. So much of it is a head game, right? All of it. Totally. Yeah. So this, I like this. Um, I do follow Hoda copy on um, the Today Show, and she had this quote. After I had my surgery, there was a woman. Um, this is after she had her mastectomy. After I had my surgery, there was a woman who was older, an aunt of my friend, and she said to me, let me see your scar. I had the same. I remember I did it. And she goes, now, now is, now is that so bad? It was a very poignant and moving moment for me. It was a life changer. Now I look at my scars, and I'm happy. And that's kind of her reflecting on seeing her body after going a mastectomy and kind of going, Oh, how do I view my scars? Like back in the day, I remember not liking my scars. And now I'm like, what is it shows? It shows I was an adventurous kid. It shows that, um, you know, whatever. I'll never forget after a soccer game, a good friend of ours walks up and he has nicks all over his face. (laughs) So great. He's a grown man. Like he's my age. He's, He's my age. Greg's a little older, so he's more my age than he's Greg's age. Anyway, he walks up, and we're all talking, and Whitaker and his son Cole start walking up, and they're like, dude, what are you, like 15 years old? Like, you don't know how to shave your face? Oh, my gosh, yeah. <laughs> and he was, he was like, yes, I feel like I'm 13 right now. I do not know how to shave his face. But he had gone from a beard, so he had to shave the entire so beard because he was getting yes. married. Like, he yes. was getting remarried. It's such yes. an exciting day. Yeah. He was so excited, and those boys just came up and were like, or, you know, you're excited, but uh, you look like you're 14 years old. And he owned it. He totally was like, uh-huh, I do not know how to shave. I am a mess. And I think he even left, like, toilet paper on one while he was Probably. at the game. Because he didn't realize it. And it was such a great moment of, like, him just kind of going, yeah, I don't know what I'm doing. 
But our scars say so much about us. Mm-hmm. Like if you have um, stretch marks from carrying babies or carrying twins or your body being small and you having a big baby or um, whatever your scars are, I think it tells your story. Yeah. And I would hope you're not or no, people aren't ashamed of them. But I'm yeah. sure many are. It just made me think about scars. How do I, I view my scars? Well, and I think as a part of our story, each of those scars say something or mean something like you're saying. So yeah. sometimes they are scars we're ashamed of because it's something we've done. Yeah. That we have to work. But even working through that shame is healing, right, mm-hmm. in a way. And if you can tell your story and the redemption in your story and how God's redeemed the pieces and parts of you that have been hurt mm-hmm. from what others have done to you or what you've done to yourself... It's in that redemption that I think the beauty comes out, right? And so even having kids, you're like, okay, so my body was messed up like this, but my word, would I trade it for anything? Mm -hmm. No, Mm -hmm. I wouldn't. I love all of my kids. What if you were like a cutter when you were younger? That's just it. Or you try to commit suicide. I mean, back in the day. drugs where you had needle marks. I do love someone, though, that can be like, this is what I used to be. Exactly. That shows it. It puts it out there. Mm -hmm. That doesn't hide it. And then I feel bad for the ones that are like, I still haven't come to terms with why I did this, what what happened there, and they don't see the redemption there. Well, and is there something we can learn from how open Jesus was to sharing his scars and letting someone put their hands on mm-hmm. it and fingers on it and saying, you know, this is what I did for you. So in Jesus' case, of course, it was something incredible and amazing and noble. But I think when we look at our own scars, we can say Jesus took his, so these can be that's how they knew something him different. too like they and that's knew how they him by him. his scars yeah i think mm-hmm. there's always something more that god wants to teach us from the little pieces of our lives yes um well i think you can take so many things and point it back to the cross yeah i mean you can take your glasses are dirty i'll right. point let's point it back to the cross you didn't do this or you did this or your scar i mean you can take anything i think and just point it back to jesus in yeah. a really fun way good word <laughs> Well, thank goodness. Thank goodness we got a Jesus to point things back to. Yeah. It can hopefully even something this hard for, that can be either this hard or not as hard, depending on what your scar is from. But hopefully all of that can point mm-hmm. back to Jesus. Mm-hmm. And that's um, what's so great, right? Like it's freeing. Mm-hmm. And we say that so flippantly, I think, for the people that have dealt with it, because it's so hard to get to that freeing moment to showing your scars, understanding where your scars, how your scars brought you to where you're at today. Cause people that do that were cutters. I mean, I knew a girl in high school, Jessica, she was a cutter and she didn't make it. She didn't make it to 20 mm. because her cutting was so bad. Like it was such That's a hard life thing. for her. And that was her out and that she ended up taking her life and you just kind of go. And I think when people talk about cutters, I always think, Oh, Jessica's not here because mm. she couldn't get past it. But the people that are able to get past cutting or um, uh, disorders, um, eating disorders, and they're able to look back at pictures and their kids look and go, Mom, you were really thin back in high school. Or, yeah, I had an eating disorder. You know what I mean? And just going, and I'm different now. I've changed. I've gotten better, thankfully, to the to And the I Lord. think that's the freedom that you embrace, being able to share your story in a way that is open, yes. honest, script yeah. based in something that is more profound than ourselves, yeah. more profound than you, then that's where the freedom comes. Yeah. I mean, I think sometimes like we talk about privacy and caring for people well, 
not sharing somebody else's stories and truth in a way they wouldn't want it shared. At the same time, the Bible, look at all the stories in the Bible Mm -hmm. that there's no privacy in there. There are deep, Mm -hmm. dark, horrible things about people. Did Moses really ask people, can I write about this? To Paul? No, that's what I'm saying. (laughs) God didn't give permission. God didn't, I mean, he didn't need permission. No, it's true. But I remember thinking like, I'm never going to tell my story. I will never tell my story that my story is so embarrassing. It's filled with shame. If anybody heard it, they would judge me. They would hate me. Like I remember carrying that. And it was like every day I would think, not every day I didn't think about my story, but on the days I did think about my story, it was like H-E-L-L, no. It was a weight. Oh, it was like a suffocating, wasn't it? It was. It was a gloomy day. It was never. And I remember doing a Bible study that I realized, oh, I'm redeemed. Like, oh, God has, re- I am still in good standing with the Lord. I have got to get, and how much Satan loved holding me back. He loved being like, remember what you did? Remember what you did? Remember what you did? You didn't do that. You didn't, or you did that. And look at whatever happened now. And I remember believing all that and then having to learn to go, no. And then praying through, praying, having conversations with the Lord of born. If you want to use my story, it's up to you, but this is really hard for me. And just going, okay, I'm going to give it to you. And then being like someone saying, oh, and it was always a little thing, right? There was a little moment of my story that someone else would talk about, but the Lord was like, share your story. Don't share the whole thing, but the piece, just that that little tiny. And over time, I've been able to put all my little pieces together for certain people. But you would ask me 10 years ago again, no, I'm, there's no way I'm telling you my whole story. And can you even count anymore how often you've ta- told your story now at this point? No, because I even think when I tell it, I don't even feel like it's me speaking sometimes. I really feel like the Holy Spirit's like, I'm going I'm to go ahead and speak for you because you're going to mess mm-hmm. this up. Because uh, you're, st- I still get nervous yes. a little bit on certain parts of my story. But, you know, God says, no, you need to tell the story. You're my child. Tell mm-hmm. it to encourage other people. So I say that to hope. Share your scars, especially right. with like your kids at a time, appropriate time. Share your scars with other ladies that you know, because they're going through the same thing. Yeah. Whether it's external or internal. Yeah. And you're not perfect. And it's okay to not be perfect. We knew that a long time ago. And I think we, and I'm saying that like we, like me, like all of us, we're not perfect. And so I think sometimes we're scared to talk about our scars, internal and external, because this, there's this idea of what we should look like and be like, and we don't match that. And God, Jesus was like, no. Um, oh, for sure. Some, not as much, not near as much now as I used to, not near as much now. Now it's more of a, um, struggle in the sense of, I just want people to be okay. And and I want me to be okay. And my kids to be okay. Yeah. And my husband to be okay. And the people I love to be okay. And so the struggle with, it's not, there's things that aren't fixable here. Mm-hmm. There's scars that are permanent. Mm-hmm. And how do mm-hmm. you, how do you move forward in a way with joy and love and peace and contentment in this world that we have knowing it's not meant to get fixed here. And so I think when we look at our scars too, that are permanent and you're like, I can never get rid of this. Yeah. Like the here. scar tissue in my thigh. Yes. There's that times that I'm like, probably I could go get that there. out. And I'm like, that's probably good for me. I mean, probably good for me yeah, to remember. I probably shouldn't gone downhill on inline skates <laughs> really fast. Christy, that was stupid. Yeah. I mean, there's things that, I don't know, things we can care for and take care of and that can be fixed here in some ways, but there's always a residue, even if you were to get that taken care but we of. There's need always that memory, residue though. For sure. That reminds us don't do that stupid thing again. Yeah. Or don't do that action. Because we don't live in heaven. So <laughs> we live in a place where we need to learn from our mistakes. Otherwise we're in trouble. Mm-hmm. All right, everybody. Well, 
We've got our interview Scars. up. That was a good discussion. But we got one more after this week. This is our mm-hmm. um, second to last week. And then we'll take our summer hiatus. And we'll be back in September. We have our special guest today. Okay, so Christy, you want to introduce our guest? Yes, this is Rick Crocker. He is the Minister to Senior Adults and Pastoral Care. Oh, I got it backwards. It's supposed to be Minister to Pas- Minister of Pastoral, pastoral care. care and Senior. I'm never good at this. See, I told you we make mistakes. <laughs> well, that's a mouthful. All the time. That's a mouthful. It is. And as he said, it's the the longest title. So we're happy you're here. And you're Thank fresh. You. You're like two weeks yeah, two and a half weeks. We got you early. You did. I, I mean, you didn't waste time. No, we didn't. We Which came is in real fast for us. Mm-hmm. <laughs> for Christy. No, we come at them fast. They just That's say true. no forever, That's true. and then we wear them down. I didn't know no was an acceptable answer. Because it's, it's well, really not. Okay. It's not. That's why we just keep on coming. That's a great answer right there. So, Rick, you're going to tell us about you, which we're excited to yeah. hear about you. So where do you want me to start? Where'd you where grow were you up? born? Where'd yeah. you so, grow up? So, okay, born in western New York, south of Buffalo, uh, upstate New York. So typical New Yorkers would not think our part of the state is New York. You know, the people that live in Manhattan and Long Island, but we're in upstate New York. Uh, are they nicer there? They are. Okay. They're not quite okay. as edgy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so <laughs> I hope I didn't offend anyone. You're going to offend people all over the place and it's going to be fine. We're yeah, going to keep yeah. going. Christy's okay. teaching me not to care. As much. <laughs> I don't care. I, I still struggle. But yeah, go ahead. So small town, uh, very waspish town. Um, I graduated in a class of 126 kids. Uh, you know, had a, a great family. I, I am the fourth generation of believers in my family. So okay. My, so. Real fast, I heard you say this before, and yeah. I've never heard anybody talk about their uh, faith that way, oh, or really? put it as a generational thing. It made me kind of go, "What am I?" Yeah, I, I, I think it's important. Because, I think it's so important. Yeah, I mean, just to see the blessing, the noble heritage, and yeah. the blessing of it—that for four generations, my family has been have been Christ followers. Yeah. So my parents, my grandparents, my great-grandparents, I'm the fourth generation. And I think where you heard me talk about this was recently I had the opportunity to baptize one of my grandsons Mm -hmm. at their local church in McKinney. And I told Adrian afterwards, I said, Adrian, do you realize that you are the sixth generation of believers in our family? And that really touches me at a very Mm -hmm. deep level. It was a great experience. And... And that's a real blessing mm-hmm. to have parents and grandparents and great-grandparents. I knew, I knew my great-grandparents mm-hmm. and their love for the Lord, and it's an amazing thing. So, yeah, my one of the seminal uh, events in my early life was the death of my father. Um, my father died at age 32. I was nine. My brother was seven. Uh, as a result <clears throat> pardon me, of my father's death, Mom had to go back to work. And uh, so that kind of upended what we had known in our family life. And Was it uh, a heart attack? No, he died with colon cancer. Oh, yeah, and he'd been sick for about six years prior to his death. Uh-huh. So it was very early in his life. Mm-hmm. Um, so I really didn't know my dad well because he'd been in and out of the hospital a lot um, prior to his death. So my grandparents, my maternal grandparents, really stepped up and filled the gap uh, with my my father's death. 
And looking back on my life, it was, it was my grandparents who have been, without question, the most uh, influential uh, individuals in shaping me spiritually uh, as to who I am today mm. as um, a man, as a servant of God. And you had amazing grandparents that could do that. Oh, yeah. Uh, truly amazing. And, and, you know, neither... Uh, of my grandparents had graduated from high school, but they are the hardest working people that I've ever known. Schooled my brother and me in the Puritan school of the work ethic, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and what it means to put in a full day's work. Mm-hmm. And Did and, you paint fences and stuff? Oh, absolutely. Garden? Garden, paint. <clears throat> yeah, hold the, 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 the lawn. Clip the lawn with that. Uh, yeah, with, without <laughs> the power that, exactly. lawnmower. <laughs> Not self-propelled. Exactly. <laughs> Let me tell you, it wasn't self-propelled. No. That's awesome. <laughs> and they had a farm, and so we helped out with, with Did that. Did you make butter? Well. Uh, I don't know if we ever made Wash butter. Wash the clothes by hand. Yeah. I see where this is going. <laughs> I do remember <laughs> I do remember the ringer washer, though. Oh, okay. Yeah. And yeah. my grandmother going to the basement. Uh-huh. Texas, you don't have basements here, but in the north, we have basements. Mm-hmm. And yeah. You go downstairs and, you know, fill the tub. Yeah. And, you have to do the laundry yeah. and bring it out. At and the then bring it out. At the end. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah. yeah. There will be a few a few of your listeners that will know what that is. I had to make yeah. butter and I had to make bread. I remember making butter with my grandmother, my great grandmother. My grandmother was a great cook. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And, and our family always gathered on Sunday afternoon after church mm-hmm. at their home for a huge Sunday dinner. I tell you what, I supper did, or dinner? Dinner. So it was right after church. Okay. And uh, my grandmother always would put on you know, a huge feast. Mm-hmm. And I'd give you a million bucks for one of those meals today. Right? Oh my goodness. You'll get one in heaven. It'll be there. Yeah, in absolutely. <laughs> and then the funny thing about that, looking back on that, all the men would either in the summertime, we'd go to the front porch mm-hmm. and kind of snooze. Mm-hmm. And the women would all sit around the table for a while. Then they'd get up and do the dishes. And we'd stay there all afternoon. And we, we weren't allowed. I mean, they were Sabbath keepers. And so we weren't allowed to play ball or anything like that on oh, Sunday. Oh, wow. No, 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 no. That was considered work. You're like, that was fun Absolutely. to you. But to so them, we, we had considered... three options. You could take a nap. Mm-hmm. You could read a book. Or you could take a walk. And so wow. that's what we did on Sunday afternoons. And then about 5, 5.30, my grandmother would get up from her nap and start something for a light supper. And we'd eat a light supper, and then we'd go to evening church hmm. and then home. There you go. So, yeah. What a good Sunday. That, that is. is memories. Growing up, how was school for you? You say you lost your dad. Yeah. Then your mom had to go back to work. That's traumatic for a kid. That's very much so. Very hard. Yeah. So how did that impact just school and relationships with friends and with teachers and like that had to affect yeah. your ability to concentrate and for sure everything else? I remember my fourth grade teacher so clearly, Mrs. Putnam. She was so loving and so supportive and understood how mm-hmm. traumatic that was for me at, at that point in my life. You know, I think the net result of that was that I was a very serious student. Because I, I kind of took, and it had some downsides to it, but I, I took the role of the adult then. You know, in fact, I remember there were some adults in my life that said, well, now that your dad's gone, you need to be the man, man in the house. house. Oh, wow. Yeah. Which is a heavy load That's to carry. That's such a burden. Huge. So hard. Huge. 
but I took that quite seriously, yeah. you know, as, as much as a nine-year-old could do. Uh, so I became a very serious student, um, excelled in school, uh, did my best to make sure that my mom and my brother were cared for. And, um, yeah. Did you have to go to work early? Did you ever feel I, the need to help provide on that? I flight? don't think I felt the need for that, but I did. Mm-hmm. I started working at 14, mm-hmm. worked in a local restaurant, washing dishes. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I've been a hard worker all my life. Again, that Puritan work ethic yeah. of, you know, <laughs> You even tried hard. to retire at one point. You I did, do it, and right? I can't. Yeah. It's, it's not yeah. in my bones. No, I get it. You know? So then how'd you meet your wife? Interesting. So um, I was a, a youth pastor, minister of music and youth pastor in a local church in from 1978, from the time I graduated from college uh, until 1980 when Kathy and I met. And uh, Kathy had traveled full time with a gospel singing quartet. She played piano. And um, she was coming through the town where I pastored and was visiting friends that she had met years earlier during a revival. And um, it's so interesting. That was the only night of the year that I and our youth group would have been at the church building. It was a family night at the church. And I was playing the organ and for the service, and I could hear this voice behind me. And I thought, because I was the choir director too, I thought, I need to go find out who that is. I need her in the choir. And so I strategically went and sat in front of her. And uh, right after the service was over, I turned around and introduced myself. And come to find out, this was a girl that her friend and my friend, our mutual friend, had been trying to introduce us, but I had no interest in that at, the, at that point. Because you're trying to build a choir. Yeah. I would just, I wanted to get, you Mm -hmm. know, my ministry done. So um, everybody was kind of dispersing and they were out in the the lobby of the church. And I knew that she played the piano. And I said, We have a brand new uh, grand piano. Why don't you go over there and I'll go to the organ and we'll just play? And it was like, Oh. All the people who were in the lobby came back in to the worship center and sat down. It's like we gave a concert for a half an hour. It was crazy. We went out for pizza afterwards. That was April 16th, 1980. I proposed on May 16th, 1980. We were married on July 26th, 1980. So three and a half months. Yeah, there were people in the congregation I pastored that forbade their children from talking to us about marriage because they didn't want their kids to know that you could get married after only knowing each other for three and a half months. Oh, that's funny. And yeah. so how long have y'all been married? 43 years this summer. Wow. Yeah. That's awesome. Three kids. Uh, we always say we've had the Reader's Digest condensed version of life. Uh, our daughter was 16 months old when our twin sons were born. So we had three in diapers. Mm. And um, then God opened the door for me to go back to seminary to earn my MDiv. So we picked up, went to uh, Lexington, Kentucky, where I did my Master of Divinity degree at Asbury Seminary. Uh, Those were tough years. You know, I was going to school full-time. Kathy was working full-time. I was on a church staff part-time, kids in daycare. 
So tough meaning lean financially, but also time together was hard. Passing in the night. is Passing in the night. Absolutely. I mean, we would, we made a commitment to always have supper together, but then right after supper, I'd go to the seminary library and I'd stay there till it closed at midnight and she'd be in bed already and she'd get up at six to, to head to work and I'd get the kids to take care. I mean, crazy when you think back and I, I squeezed three years of seminary education into three years. I mean, it did it in three years time. So, but yeah. How did you know you wanted to go into ministry? I didn't want to go into ministry. I fought that tooth and nail, really. Um, Planned on being a a teacher. Um, And God just kept pricking my heart over and over again. And I kept resisting and fighting it. Uh, Even after we married. What does that mean, pricking? Like, give us a situation where you can recall. Um, Well, I'd, I'd always been involved in church music. You know, I started... I started playing the piano and organ at age seven. And so in our little country church, I, I always played. And then in high school, I was hired by another church to direct their choir and play the organ for their services. Uh, so church music was always a part of it. But there were individuals in the churches where I attended or served that always said, you know, you have so many gifts, you have so many abilities. You really ought to think about going into ministry full-time. No, no, no desire. Not interested. Um, But over and over again, those doors, those influences, those people that God would place in my life just said, kept affirming the gifts Mm. that God had, had graciously given. And I finally surrendered because I realized that he was winning and I was losing in that battle. Mm -hmm. And I remember Kathy and I were at a marriage retreat and I had talked about going back to seminary many times. And she's at that marriage retreat. She said, you are either going to say yes to God and go, or you're never going to bring this up again. (laughs) Mm, Those are wise words. That makes you think. Those are your two options. Yeah. So I said, okay, let's go. Is so, this when you quit, or you were opera singer So somewhere? I started on university in opera studies, switched to music education, mm-hmm. certified to teach K-12 through music mm-hmm. in New York State. And uh, that's when God kind of changed the trajectory of my career from mm-hmm. teaching in public school to um, serving the church. And then later, the, the call to go back to seminary to prepare for pastoral ministry. So we have to ask, Yeah. can you still sing opera? I can. Okay, we're waiting. <laughs> I, like, wanna, I knew this was coming. It's I, coming. I, Come on, you got to do I don't something. Wanna, I don't want to blow the microphone. Pull it back up. It'll be great. You got to give us something. <laughs> yes, you got to give us something. There we He's go. He's totally backing up. Oh, sola mia. Is that enough? That'll do. <laughs> so That's good. amazing. Yes, very good. So do you have like a favorite song that you sing opera? I don't even know words. I don't know how you say it. Aria. 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 No. And I don't sing opera anymore. But I do enjoy opera. And I enjoy classical music. I mean, I'm always tuned to K-E-R-A. 
or 101.1 But you've navigated kind of your getting back to your areas of ministry. You haven't always just been in church life. Like you've kind of navigated the gamut of the different kind of non-profit profits ways to serve. So tell us a little bit about that. I didn't go willingly into that either. (laughs) I mean, I, I was serving a church in Western Pennsylvania. I'd been there for almost 21 years. Straight out of seminary? Is this where you yes. went? Okay. So right out of seminary, I went back to the church that I had served as minister of music. And that was 1989. I graduated from Asbury. In 1989, we went back to the church in Erie, serving as the lead pastor. It was a very small congregation, but God blessed and worked in that congregation over the 20 years that I was there as the senior pastor. And... Um, it just, I won't go into all the details, but we God, like details, but hey, okay. <laughs> God opened the door <laughs> and pushed me through it to help a gospel rescue mission in Erie uh, that was really struggling as an organization, struggling for existence. And, you know, one of my spiritual gifts is administration. So I, I'm, I've got a good business head on my shoulders and uh, coupled with my ministry gifts. And so I said yes and uh, resigned my pulpit. And I I had planned on staying there the rest of my ministry career. That was my plan. God had a different plan. So I went to the the Gospel Rescue Mission. What is is Gospel Rescue Mission? So a Gospel Rescue Mission is a faith-based nonprofit organization that works with addicts, alcoholics, uh, the poor, the homeless. And we did all of that at the Gospel Rescue Mission in Erie. It had been founded on the heels of a revival in Erie where the Reverend Billy Sunday had been the evangelist. And it had been founded in 1911. Wow. And um, over 100 years it had been there when I got there. And we served about 300 people a day at a public meal uh, about 500 people in our food pantries and clothes pantries. Uh, typically, there were 60 to 70 uh, men and women who were in a alcohol and drug recovery program. And then uh, we had an emergency shelter where about 100 men per night would stay in the emergency shelter. That's a lot of heavy stuff. A lot of stuff, yeah. How, do you, how did you handle all that? With God's help, you know, because a lot of that stuff I, I didn't have exposure to. Mm. I mean, a seminary trained pastoring a, a local suburban church. Mm. What did I know about addiction and substance abuse? But I knew I had to jump in on the deep end. So I began to teach a Bible study on a couple mornings a week to those who were in the recovery program. And just I rolled up my sleeves and said, I'm going to learn how to do this and to do it well, while at the same time getting the business side of things back on its feet again and um, helping the organization thrive. And we really did. We started a uh, elementary and high school program called Urban University. It's still going today. So exciting. What was that? that? What was involved in that? Oh my goodness. We, we did everything. So it was after school and summer activities. For, for kids when they were on summer recess. So we would recruit volunteers to lead various classes. I remember I taught one on cooking. You know, we 
whenever you had a gap, they'd come to me and say, okay, Rick, uh, what can you teach? And so, you know, did music, did all kinds of things. So that kind of a mission work really breathes life into the community it's in big time. Without, without that mission in, um, Erie, there would be a huge hole for those who are struggling with poverty and homelessness for sure. Bridging the gap. So we were talking a little bit earlier before we came on the podcast about things that nonprofits do that churches yeah. maybe <laughs> sometimes ought to be doing. Yeah. So I feel like you have a unique kind of glimpse at that because you've done both. Yeah. So how do you think, like, I don't know, do you feel like that's something the ch- that churches in general maybe should be partnering more with? How do you feel like those two work together? Well, I think the point I was making when we were talking about that earlier is that there are so many things that have now become part of nonprofit world that in my humble opinion, need to be part of the church in action. Mm -hmm. And poverty and homelessness, uh, I think, is an example of that. I I really think that in many ways, and there's a lot of historical reasons for how and why it happened, but the church has abdicated its responsibility for ministering to the poor. I mean, Jesus obviously in his ministry all the time. time, Uh, but for some reason, we've pushed that on to uh, the nonprofit sector saying, okay, it's your job to do that. Uh, so you're right. I do have a unique perspective because I've been, I've had my in feet in worlds. both worlds. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it could probably be better accomplished by the church than by nonprofit because there's a lot of duplication that goes on, uh, a lot of competition for resources and all the rest. And so, you know, but we are where we are. And so there are nonprofits that are dedicated to that mission and that purpose. That's a good answer. I totally agree with you. Then you're working at this mission and you're there for how long? Six years, uh, two, three year contracts, uh, with them. And, uh, toward the middle of the, the fifth year, um, we only at that time had one grandchild who lived here in Texas and my wife was just just mourning the fact that we only saw our grandson um, twice a year. Mm-hmm. We would fly here once a year. They would fly there once a year. And it just wasn't enough to s- satisfy her uh, grandmotherly instincts. And, right. Mm-hmm. And so um, she had made so many sacrifices for me over the years of my ministry. I decided, hey, look, this means so much to you. Let's, let's just move to Texas. So I announced to the board of directors there at the Gospel Rescue Mission, when this contract ends, uh, I'll not be renewing. And we're moving to Texas. And again, you know, our life has been that way. We have just continued to step out in faith and ask God when he opens the door and we have confirmation with a sense of God's peace, we've moved forward in faith. And uh, we sense this is what God wanted us to do. We put our house on the market, sold it in three days, Mm. uh, which at that time in that part of the country was not easy to do. Uh, Sent all of our belongings to Fort Worth, uh, where our one son was living, and um, finished up three months that were left on my contract. And then we moved here in December of 2015. Didn't have the prospect of any jobs at the time. And uh, I just was praying daily, moment by moment, God, open the door. Uh, We feel this is where you're leading. Uh, In October of 2015, 
uh, I was contacted by a headhunter, uh, and they were looking to interview me for a position at the Samaritan Inn, Collin County's largest homeless program. And that same week, I was contacted by Lovers Lane United Methodist Church, and they wanted to interview me for the executive director of their foundation. And so I made arrangements to fly down to Texas. I interviewed at both uh, organizations. On the same Friday, I was offered a position at both organizations, prayed about which way I was going to go, and accepted the Samaritan Inn's invitation to join them. And so I just concluded seven years in leading the Samaritan Inn as a chief executive officer. And that was December of 2022. What's the difference between the Samaritan, that you saw differences between the Samaritan Inn's needs and the needs in Erie? Vastly different? Yes, because of culture mm-hmm. and environment. Was that That's hard? a great question. Was it hard? I mean, was it hard? Was the because transition of the hard? The, mm-hmm, the switch. Um, or say more on the difference wherever you yeah, want to go I, with that. I, I think that the difference that I found, in some ways it was easier, to tell you the truth. Mm-hmm. Um, because there are people here who are supporters of the Samaritan Inn and other nonprofits like that that are so generous. And they're people of means and great wealth. Whereas in Erie, I mean, at one point, uh, the poverty rate was 36% in Erie. That's, wow, more than one out of three people. Yeah. So fundraising and raising support for that ministry was very, very challenging. Mm. But um, so that, that was one difference that actually was easier. And then I think the other thing here in Texas that may have made it a little more difficult is that in the Northeast, the nonprofit sector is really well-developed and mature, if you will. Whereas here in Texas, I think there's a, a mentality. In many ways, I love it. It's kind of that pull yourself up by your own bootstraps, mm-hmm. you know, and you just need to work hard, you know. And so there's maybe a little bit of insensitivity here and there not everywhere there's a generalization by some people that you know if you're homeless what have you done wrong to create this problem you know but what's funny is i haven't i didn't grow up in the bible belt i was telling you that before i like grew up on the mission field um but that's always struck me in texas how you're so, in the bible belt in general that i just find so fascinating it, there's a lot of churches a lot of gospel life but then a lot of pick yourself up, take care of yourself, which is honestly the opposite of gospel life in a lot of ways. And it is a very, like, unless you, I don't, unless you like live in it for a while and get it, it's kind of a hard mind. It was for me for a while. And it still is sometimes a ministry of juggling that Mm -hmm. it's a hard mind game to play. Like you're telling people to take care of each other, love each other, give care for the poor, care for this. And at the same time, you're also saying, yeah, take care of yourself, work hard, pick yourself up by your bootstrap, all this kind of thing. Because I worked with someone calling to see if if they had like an open room or whatever. Oh yeah. But you had like um, boundaries for how the, that happened. Yeah. Right? So in Erie, our emergency shelter, there were there were no boundaries, no guidelines. At the Samaritan Inn, you had to be drug and alcohol free. Uh, you had to have um, no. You could have a criminal background, but even a felony, but you couldn't have any 
any crimes against persons. So assault, battery, oh, yeah. murder, those kinds of things. Because a third of the residents at the Samaritan Inn are children. So on an average night, 65 to 70 of our residents are kids, hmm. you know, eight birth to 18. And in Erie, that wasn't the case. No. It was all adults. It was all adults. Okay. I could, that, yeah, that would make a big so, difference, right? And then you had to uh, pass a, a background test, uh, and then you sign up to follow all the guidelines. So you're not just staying for one or two nights. It's not uh, in, in that world. We call it three hots, uh, three hots and a cot. You know, three hot get, meals and a bed. Yeah, yeah. But the Samaritan Inn is not three hots and a cot. Samaritan Inn is a homeless program that requires you to invest your full self in it, to get work, to create a savings account, mm-hmm. to ha- build a plan, to rehabilitate your life and get back on your own feet. Which fix the Texas model for sure it totally, and it to me I've, I mean I feel like the the walking those two things together if we could have good conversations you could walk those two things together well the you emergencies mean, for yeah. you know for hey right now this person is just in such dire straits right now we need to help them just immediate like the immediacy of an emergency shelter and what that means food shelter God calls us to all that helping them that get there but then feeding them into a model like the Samaritan's Inn right where right. They You're do like, that down in Dallas. Keep... What's a shelter in Dallas? So City... Austin Street Center, uh, City Square. No, not City. Yeah, there's there's a number of them. Mm-hmm. Union Gospel Mission is there. Austin Street Center, the Bridge. Um, so to your point, I think the church could do all of that. Absolutely, and right? unfortunately, in Collin County, there is no emergency shelter. Yeah. So if someone just needs emergency shelter and they don't qualify or the Samaritan Inn or some other homeless program in Collin County, we have no other choice but to send them to Metro Dallas, to places like... The woman that we had talked to, that's where we had to send her down there. It's tough. And and the environments can be challenging down there as well. Yeah, very very much so. Yeah, but that's a need that I think... And I've said this during my seven years at the Samaritan Inn, that I believe that churches in Collin County are a vast... uh, potential of untapped resource. I think that there are people who have a heart to do that, a passion to, to serve in that way, and they have resources that could address those needs, but it's an untapped resource. What do you point. say to people who are scared of working in that environment, but uh, do have a lot they could give? Yeah, absolutely. And there's no need to be afraid. Uh, don't be uh, driven by fear. Just step out, bring what you have, like like the little boy who brought his two fishes and the loaves of bread. Just bring what you have and serve and do it with love and compassion and God will bless and, and use that. And there's plenty. I mean, not just the Samaritan Inn. There's, you know, so many organizations across North Texas mm-hmm. that are crying for your help and need your involvement. And so roll up your sleeves and do it. There's really, there's, Boundaries in place that will protect you and the safety of not only you, but your children if you choose to get them involved. That's a great answer. Mm-hmm. So you moved from Samaritan's Inn to here because yeah. you retired from the Samaritan's I Inn. I though. Yeah. I'm not, so have you only been in Texas like eight years? Yep. Wow. Yeah. That's not very long. Yeah, there's still days when I drive down the highway and think, I live in Texas. <laughs> I would think so. It's not very long. I mean, 
Welcome. Welcome to Texas. Thank you. I got here as fast as I could. Yes, you did. Because the grandbabies brought you. We'll That's, take right. It. That's right. That's right. So, so, yeah, I retired in December. And um, I was looking forward to retirement. But, boy, just after a few weeks, I was going stir crazy. I knew I needed to do something. I did not want to sit on the shelf. I don't believe in that. And um, so I began to pray, God, you open doors, as I've done all my life. Mm -hmm. And as he has always done, he opened the door here, which is a lovely and a beautiful thing. And, you know, two and a half weeks in, I'm, I'm loving it and feel motivated and have a purpose every day to get up and get moving and and do something for the glory and honor of, of Jesus Christ. That's well, we're happy to have you. We Thank love you. having Thank here. You. So then what was it, what's it been like going from a job like Samaritan's Inn to mm. back to a pastoral staff? Cause you haven't been on pastoral staff now for yeah, 13 years, 13? 13 years. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. Jumping back into the church, um, upside downside to it. Um, yeah. but mostly up, um, one nice thing is I'm not in charge. I was going to actually <laughs> ask you if that was a bad thing, but you like that. I love that. <laughs> I, I love being able to sit in a meeting and a, a problem or an issue is being addressed. And instead of feeling the weight of having to make the call or the decision to be able to turn to my colleague and say, oh, so what are you going to do about that now? You know, <laughs> I don't have to worry about the it. weight of the decision is yeah. not on you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah, no, I can get that. So you're working, but not in charge yeah. like before. So it's semi-retired. It is. Semi. Yeah. I mean, I'm still pursuing other things. And Yeah. What's your grandpa name? Papa. Papa. Nice. Yeah. And you do some fun things with your grandkids. Oh, yeah. Tell us about that. So two of them live in McKinney, where we live, and two live in Southlake. Uh, we have four grandkids in total. And uh, the two in McKinney uh, typically come on Thursday night. They come for supper. And then they stay overnight. Uh, we usually do something fun on a Thursday night. And we always, you know, do our devotions before bedtime. They have their snack and, and we do our devotions and pray and tuck them in for the night. And then Kathy will take them to school the next morning on Friday. Um, and then our family, uh, everybody lives here in Texas now. Did they all follow you guys? They did. That's great. Yeah. We get together once a month to celebrate birthdays and anniversaries and promotion, job promotions and things like that. And everybody will be coming to the house uh, this coming Sunday for Mother's Day and, you know, bring a, you bring Kathy's going to have to cook on Mother's Day? No, I'm doing the cooking on Mother's oh, Day. good for you, yes. Rick. Yeah. So smart. I'll have the Stepping roast on up. timed oven. It'll be ready. Timed when oven. When we get home from church. <laughs> so great. Do you, how do you cook your roast? In the oven with potatoes and carrots. Do you marinate it? Uh, no, is I roast just, like your? Is that what you know yeah, how to cook? Yeah, I, I love it. It I salt it. Yeah, and, and you brown yeah, it. Yeah, and I brown it, and then uh -huh. put it in Good the oven stuff. on slow and low. Yeah, and, yeah. For for hours you. at a time. Yeah. That's so my fun. my mouth is watery, and that yeah. sounds really good. I know. And it's overcast today too, which is even better. Perfect roast weather. Yeah, perfect. I saw somebody on Sunday at H E B, a friend, and she was like, "We're making a roast," and I was like. It's 90 degrees outside. You can't have a roast at 90 degrees. That's only like winter. She was like, I know my husband's doing it. Like, okay, we'll get for him. Well, at the cost of roast outside. these days, you yeah, don't have it very true. often. That's right. So. It's, that's a true it, that is true. It used to be not the, a great yeah. way to feed your family. Yeah. Now it's it's not really anymore. hard. Mm -hmm. So um, 
Is Kathy on cloud nine, though, here with all the family, kids here? She no, is. she's glad kids. he's out of the house. Well, she's she's on cloud nine because she's, <laughs> she's with her with kids all and grandkids. grandkids. <laughs> yes, that's what I'm saying. Like, And she's also on cloud nine because <laughs> you're not in the I'm house working, so much. I'm yeah, and you're house. happy. Yeah, because she does, she's got this little side hustle that she does. Uh, she got into this when we moved here. We had so much stuff. So she started to sell things on Facebook Marketplace. Oh, yeah, that's a thing. Yeah, oh. well, we ran out of stuff, <laughs> and so she figured out how to make it. A I business? thought it would really? shut down. I yeah. thought she'd shut down on us. She started going out to thrift stores and buying stuff, and she now has loyal customers all over the country that follow her stuff on Poshmark and Macari and Facebook Marketplace. Good for her! Awesome. You know, every morning I did this morning. There were six packages that had to go to the post office before I came to the church building and so she's shipping stuff every day either ups or fedex i always people put up these videos of them thrifting finding these amazing Mm -hmm. things and then changing them up painting Mm -hmm. them and making them look good and then they sell them for this money i'm like that's so engaging and Mm -hmm. fascinating to me that you can like that you're good at that and i admire people who can do it not up my alley even the least like even putting stuff for free on that thing Drives me crazy. Yeah, but no. people are good at it. Like, she's it is such really, a thing. I call her the queen of marketplace. That's I mean, awesome. she's, she takes great photos of yeah. her product and she's got loyal customers mm. in Michigan. Which means they like what they what she sends them. Absolutely. They're following well. And she has an her. eye for picking things up in a she random place. She knows exactly place. what they're looking for. So she's thrifting or Goodwill and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah, thrifting. Uh, last she made her way down to Dallas to the thrift stores in Dallas? Uh, we haven't been to Dallas, but we were down in the colony on Friday. Oh, my kids she, love that one. The thrift giant. Oh, they love it. They're going there today. Yeah. They Actually, the shirt came from there. Yeah. I bought, I bought oh, this. Oh, yeah. At... My kids love it. Well, they get it from my husband loves thrifting. Yeah. And he's kind of like you where he'll be like, somebody will say, oh, I like your shirt. Yeah, got it for $1.99, but look at this. It's really worth Four hundred dollars, and you're like, oh my god! And that's the <laughs> thing for the like kids now. Thrifting's really oh, out yeah. big. And yeah, so I big. was laughing with them because my they, you can find cheap stuff, but some of the prices are a little more at thrift shops now than they used to be. And I told yeah. them like, y'all are driving those prices up. You and your little social media, like <laughs> driving it. the thrifting up, which mm-hmm. is great. I'm all for recycle, but yeah, you're not going to be paying like a dollar for a Armani oh, stoop anymore. You can. anymore. On certain days, they have fifty percent off, and they have Senior Citizens Day, and think, oh yeah. Oh, yeah, they know how to get people in the door. Love it. Okay, so we have a thing called lightning round questions. Oh, okay. And this is just easy. Just fun. Fun to kind of wrap it up. What is the last show that you binge watched and loved? Uh, Alone. Have you watched it on Netflix? No, it's also on Hulu. It's they take 10 competitors and put them in a wilderness experience. My husband loves that show. Survival Mm -hmm. kind of thing. Mm hmm. The episode I watched the other night, the guy was grilling a mouse that he had caught under a rock. Well, that's why Jamie likes it. He's oh, like, yeah. I could do that too. It's very, oh, he, oh, I told him intense. he needs to go on that show. Like, he would be good at it. Good. And you have to be able to live in your own head because you yeah. are truly alone. All these 10 people are isolated by themselves mm-hmm. oh. in different places and they have their little camera. GoPros. The psychology of it is amazing. It is. I mean, you, it yeah. Is. And the editing, see, they edit it really good. They, they've done a good job with the show. It's a, it's I, I managed show. to hang in there for like one. Did he eat the mouse? <laughs> but, he did. Yeah. That's gross. 35 calories in an average mouse. Did you Google that while he's eating it? No, they actually put oh, it they on the screen. You. Yeah, they, they kind Tell of you, the it. editing's great. They they reel you in, man. It, I mean, it. yeah, you get hooked. So what, it is, what do they do all day? Just roam around? Think in their head, you know, build a shelter. It's all about survival. Fire, How long are they there? Water source. 
Well, the the one season I watched, they were up into ninety days. Well, and you have to outlast everybody, right? Oh, right. The there winner it is. the winner wins five hundred thousand dollars. Yeah, oh. five hundred. Yeah, you gotta be the one that can stand being out there alone. Like, as everybody drops off, that's good for you. So. But they've been in Vancouver, British Columbia. They've been in Vancouver Island. I think they were in Mongo- Mongolia one. I season. can't remember all of them, but there's been all the way extreme, like super cold. And super hot. Yeah. Like fire ants and, you know, I'm going to die from hypothermia. predatory animals. Yes. Bears and cougars and wolves. Oh, God. Would you ever want to do that? No. Okay. What is something that people often get wrong about you? That I don't know how to have fun. Oh. Oh, they think you don't know how to work. That I'm too serious and I'm a hard worker and all that. I love to laugh. Mm. I love to laugh. In fact, yeah, when I get to laughing... I mean, it is a hearty belly laugh, red in the face from laughing. That's I, awesome. I love a good joke. I, I love good humor. So you're a good grandpa. Yeah. They can make you. They can make you laugh. Then yeah. the kids can make you laugh. Yeah. Are you on Instagram or social media? On Facebook. That's the only. So do you ever watch things on Facebook that make you laugh, like reels or shorts or anything? <laughs> One of the ones, and I was reminded of this a couple of weeks ago. They did the Carol Burnett. Oh, it was so good! Thing. Did you watch? The I whole watched thing? the whole thing. I loved it. She's so great. We used to watch it. I love. Sorry, I loved finish her. Story. I, loved I love her. her. But I love the sketch that Tim Conway's in with Harvey Corman all the time at the dentist office. Yeah, oh, where the, the arm goes. The he grabs himself. <laughs> <laughs> yes yes i love that one that too. one that was, and I, the, the elephant the oh the elephant the elephant <laughs> yeah those two and i probably have seen them 50 times as we all have at this yeah. point you just die laughing well they can't time. even stop they can't from even laughing. hold it together right. that's the best is when they so can't great. hold it together yeah. and they can't even look at each other and they're laughing like looking what down. was the guy it was harvey the right that tim Corman. conway mm-hmm. could always make laugh and he could not yeah. hold it together through yes. any sketch yeah. with him <laughs> It was so great. Such a talented group of It is. Of you don't get those anymore. No. no. And it was you clean and good. Oh, I know. It was so good. Okay, what is your biggest pet peeve? Being late. Mm. Oh. Note to self. Don't be late to a yeah, meeting I, with Rick. I, he doesn't run them anymore, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> he won't care. Yeah, I hate to be late. I'd rather not go to something if I'm going to be late. This afternoon, I'm afraid I'm going to be late to a meeting that I'm scheduled for, mm-hmm. and I've already apologized. <laughs> in advance? I'm sorry. I may be late. But so you've checked your box, so you feel good about when you walk in Well, late. I feel better. Yeah, I get it. But not as good as being five minutes early. Right. Just yeah. to be five minutes early or is to, to be, be on, on time. time. Mm-hmm. Exactly right. To be on time is to be late. Mm-hmm. Correct. I get wow. it. That's what we say in our house. The noisy narrative, which is what this podcast is called, is about cutting through the noise and getting to the heart of the matter. What is your narrative right now? Fill in the blank. Blank narrative. The life you're living. Yeah, the season you're in. Blank narrative. What's your narrative? Abundance. Oh. Hmm. Why does that come to mind? I have, you know, Jesus said, I've come to give you life and that life more abundantly. And as I look back over the trajectory of my journey with Christ and all the places that I've been able to go, the people that I've met, the people that I've served, the organizations that I've led, they're just full to overflowing. I mean, spilling over the edges of the cup into the saucer is the word picture that I feel about my life. Mm-hmm. I've lived such a full, rich life. And God has been so extraordinarily good. And, you know, there's, there have been pain, 
times of pain, times of loss, uh, difficult things. But when I look at my life, it's a narrative of, of abundance. And that doesn't mean a life without needing things. No. Like you've talked about leanness at some point, yeah. everything. Oh, yeah. So, which I think yeah. is wonderful. Plenty of times of leanness. Yes. But I think in those times... Leanness meaning what? One example, I remember coming home from seminary class one day and it was my job to get supper started because Kathy was still coming from work. And there was nothing in the pantry. There was nothing in the refrigerator. And you had the three kids at home? And three kids. Okay. And I was so angry with God. He said, I've obeyed you. I've done what you've asked me to do. I've made sacrifices. And you've promised to, to provide for us. And as I was kneeling in our bedroom kind of like David complaining to God. He prompted me to go to the mailbox. And, you know, you think I'm going to say there was a check there. There wasn't a check there, but a friend of ours who was couponing back in those days uh, had stuffed a manila envelope full of coupons, not for cents off, but for free items. There was a coupon in there for a pound of hamburger. There was a coupon in there for a gallon of milk. There was a coupon in there for a loaf of bread. And that thing was stuffed. And we ate off of that for weeks. Oh, wow. And that was lean. I mean, yes. We but it made God's provision. God's you provision. You don't always get to amazing. pick what it looks like. And it like. was abundance. Yeah. Yeah. So you can appreciate that. We went out and bought a pound of bologna. We never enjoyed bologna so much. Oh. Because it was free? It was free. Yeah. And it tasted and good. it tasted good. <laughs> Have you had bologna since? No, I don't like bologna. Okay, good. <laughs> Both literally and metaphorically. Yes. <laughs> but need is the best seasoning on anything. What is? Need. Oh, need is the best mm-hmm. seasoning. That's, oh, that's a, good. Great, I like that. I like yeah. that. Best seasoning on anything. I like that. Okay, so you were in heaven looking down at your funeral. What do you hope people say about you? They cannot say that you were a good and faithful servant or that you loved Jesus because we already know that about you. Okay. I mean, we know that for the last two weeks. We'll get to know more. <laughs> that Rick was a man of prayer, and he lived and, mm. lived and believed in the power of prayer. Oh, that's good. That is good. Why did you pick prayer in particular? I was telling Christy earlier today about this. In 2000, and I'll be real quick. I know we're close no, to the end. No, you're good. Um, in the year 2000, the Board of Elders of the church I served gave me the opportunity to go on sabbatical. And I did a crazy thing. I'd called a seminary professor, asked him for a recommendation on what to do, how to spend that time. And he recommended uh, a monastery, a Benedictine monastery in New Mexico. He said, go there and live. God will direct you. And I did, and I spent six weeks there. And I told Christy this morning, I went in as a pastor who prayed, often just perfunctory prayers, but I left that monastery after six weeks as a praying pastor. And there is a huge difference between the two. And I learned the power of prayer from an unusual place and and resource a group of benedictine monks you know who didn't force me into their mold but just said get your soul quiet and let god speak to you and he did he met me there in a powerful way and i came away changed my ministry changed which had 
ripple, a ripple effect, effect mm-hmm. in the church that I was serving. God blessed, particularly the ministry of prayer. And I, I learned um, just how powerful a resource we have. Every, not just me, not just the two of you, but every person who is a follower of Jesus has this powerful resource. And for so many, it's an untapped resource of speaking to God, calling out on the name of the Lord, taking your needs to God, believing God for things that are beyond comprehension and imagination, and believing God is big enough to do it. We have loved having you. Thank you so much. A real pleasure. Um, have enjoyed listening to your story. I am greatly looking forward to getting to know you more. It's going to be fun. Um, as we work on staff together. It will be fun, yeah. depending on the day. Maybe mm-hmm. if it's not even fun, at least it's good work. Well, when it stops being fun, stop yeah. doing it. Right. Well, no, Debbie's talk like, to me no. after we BS. <laughs> yeah, I haven't seen you, you in action yet. You don't want to ask me that question on the day after that. <laughs> I'm looking after forward, that. though, to seeing you in action. It'll it's, be fun. It's fun. You see Christy You should work BBS. You, you would be so great. And bring the great. Yes. Oh, wait, how old are the grandkids? Uh, they're 11, 10, 8, bring and 7. Them. Perfect. Come on. Perfect. It's we'll like take for them. For Monday through Friday yeah. that yeah. week. Okay. Well, I'll yeah. consider it. That'd be, yeah. No, we're going to put it on your calendar. <laughs> it's going to be great. Do you, you have access so to my calendar? I'm going to tell Joy to give them, put it on there, Joy. Uh, okay. She has access to your admin. Yeah. <laughs> powers it be. Oh, my gosh. They would love it. It's so You'd be exhausted. I've done VBS before. Ooh, I don't know I if mean, you've done it first Baptist VBS, though, how <laughs> Debbie runs it. Oh, wait, real fast, I do want to circle come. back. The shelter in Dallas I was talking about is Dallas Life. Dallas Life. That's oh, Dallas good yes. Life. Yes, and they do the emergency, they and do. they have all the residents. Yes, they do. Yeah, my mom's husband is on is big up there, and we get to go do their turkey. At Thanksgiving time. Yes. Turkey giveaway. Yes. Yeah, we fry fun. the turkeys. What a blessing. It's so oh, fun. they fry them? Oh, yeah. They have like 20 <gasps> so fryers good. out. And they just fry them, and then they give them away. Oh, yeah. It's That's an great. amazing place, though. Dallas Life is amazing. Yeah, it is. They I'm do good work. Impressed. They do. And they let so many people come in and help. Like, it's easy to go in and help and serve. Another one like that in Dallas is Our Calling. Our Calling. Our Calling. Yeah. Mm. Excellent organization. Okay. Yeah. Sorry, See, I wanted to circle you're get, back Yeah, to you're getting plugged, guys. So there's plenty of places to go. Yeah, help. to go yes. and work and serve. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, thank you. You're welcome. We, that Thanks is for it having from me. us. A real pleasure. Today. Well, we enjoyed having you very much. So, but we knew we would. We had high expectations. You mm-hmm. met all this. Mm-hmm. And so. We're excited to see what God's going to do yes. through you for our people here. Amen. It's going to be fun. Yeah. We'll do it together. Yes, and we'll yeah. laugh along the way. Amen. <laughs> Link some arms. <laughs> all right, everybody. That's it from Noisy Narratives for this week. Until um, next week, and next week will be our last one. It'll be me, Lauren, mm-hmm. Christy. Mm-hmm. Um, wrapping up for season three. Mm -hmm. Then we're off for the summer. Um, And then we'll start season four um, in the fall. So or end of August-ish, I guess, beginning of September. Mm -hmm. So, but that's it from us for today. Until next time, this is Noisy Narratives out. Bye. Life can be amazing.